Welcome to the inaugural episode of Samsara Audio. This is the audio division of Samsara Diagnostics. I'm on my lunch break right now, enjoying some whiskey. So wherever you are, cheers and thank you for listening. I wanted to chat with you today about the series that I'm putting out right now on self-destructive behaviors. The series I'm putting it out in pieces but I feel like I need to discuss kind of the whole picture so that folks can understand how do all these pieces fit together? Where are these essays going? So a little bit of background. I actually was working on a master's degree at one point. I was working on a master's in philosophy and psychoanalysis with the Global Center for Advanced Studies, GCAS. It's a great program. I recommend that you check it out. Super cool if you want to pursue Um, any sort of philosophical research in a remote context. Um, Dr. Kristen Davis teaches there. I had the pleasure of working with Dr. Kevin Boyleau, who is excellent. I highly recommend getting to know him if you get the chance. However, I ended up not completing the program uh, for a variety of life reasons. Um, I needed a little bit more academic support than a remote situation could provide, and I was running up against and inability to get all of my ideas out in time before my son was born. Ultimately, I decided to just kind of pull out. And I, I firmly believed that if this project was in, in me and it needed to come out, it would come out eventually in its own time. So as I came out of my son being born, uh, as we came out of that season of adjusting to his birth and uh, being a father for the first time, I decided to start making some changes, getting up early and writing more. And all of the material that I had been working on that had been coming together for this thesis, it presented itself to me as something that I could share through my blog, Samsara Diagnostics. So to jump into things, the the original thesis proposal that I made to GCAS was actually looking at the Christian concept of sin through the lens of trauma and kind of thinking about how do we parse out the difference between evil and acting from a place of being a traumatized creature. And I think part of what I was trying to get at that with that question was why do we engage in behavior that hurts us? I was, I I think that as I, as I delved into that more, I realized that the question at bottom that I was really wondering about was, was why are humans even able to engage in self-destructive behavior at all? Because a, a traumatized creature has been hurt, it's been wounded, and theoretically it should be wanting to act in a way that is going to bring it the least pain. And yet what's interesting is that the traumatized mindset, the, the way that the traumatized creature thinks actually begins to proliferate harms to itself. Nietzsche points this out kind of the, to the gangrenous eye, everything is green. Um, How the, the sick and dying creature continues to choose things that lead to greater death. Um, How the creature in pain sees pain everywhere and wants to, and wants to then share that pain and to inflict pain on other things. Um, That, I think that that bears out in experience. And that, that to me is really interesting because I feel that we don't see that quite as much in other species. 
human beings are really unique in this respect that we do things that are bad for us and we do them habitually even when we understand that they're not good for us. Um, I'm drinking some whiskey right now um, and alcohol is literally poison. And yet human beings for thousands of years have loved to drink alcohol. It's been a core part of our culture. Yeah, that's really good. Um, why do we do that? It's literal poison. And I, I love Lacan's concept of jouissance, of this pleasure and pain of enjoyment, the enjoyment that we get from living on the edge of, of bringing death into life. Of Nietzsche talks about he talks about, he critiques Darwin. He critiques Darwin's idea of survival of the fittest, that life is oriented towards survival by pointing out that creatures continually put their own lives in jeopardy, almost instinctually. And that actually, it seems like life is actually striving to not just survive, but to constantly overcome itself by running up against its own limits by running into danger, by running into the fire, by running towards the challenge. And what, what does that say about what life is that that's the case? That's what I'm trying to get at with the question of how we can engage in self-destructive behaviors. What is life? What kind of creatures are we? Um, the way that I've started to formulate this in one of my blog posts is what sort of problem is a human being? And it's not obvious that we should conceptualize the human being as a problem. Um, yeah, I, I don't really, there's maybe a Nietzschean perspective on either side of this to conceptualize human as a problem is to assume maybe an alternate abstract world by which we're judging the uh, judging human beings to be, you know, out of accord with, out of sync with, and that's the constitution of the problem. But I can also see another perspective where imminent to the human being ourselves are different sets of forces that are at war and at tension with each other. And that, imminent set of drives could itself be the problem, the, the problem that constitutes a human being without having to posit any sort of abstract standard outside of the human that makes them to be problematic. Um, and clearly in order for self-destructive drives to exist, there does have to be some level of psychological complexity to where one could be at variance with oneself. Um, where there are differing drives. I love that Nietzsche talks about the idea of uh, one drive complaining about the other, of when um, your rationality is really just taking sides with a particular drive against another drive. Um, so to bring things back around to self-destructive behavior, there's, there's multiple drives within the human being. Uh, and the, and these drives aren't just survival. Freud talks about the death drive. He's trying to posit this idea of 
um, the creature wanting to return from where it came from. There's this idea that um, at the same, the pleasure principle kind of wants to reduce things from uh, the highest level of energy to a lower, more stable level of energy. Now, theoretically, the lowest and most stable valence of energy would be death, at which there would be no, there would be no energy. But the pleasure principle is also about voiding pain and about seeking to continue to perpetuate itself. So it has this problem where, ironically, it wants to seek the lowest valence, but it can't go all the way to the lowest valence, actually which the death drive kind of seems to be pulling it down. It's almost like this gravity pulling this balloon back to earth and the balloon has to figure out how to, how to buoy itself, but just kind of like minimally enough. So what is this minimally? What is this enough? I've put together a little piece where I talk about the ego, right? Talk about the formation of the self as this identification with objects. And I'm really just stealing Lacan here, but Lacan's the mirror stage is pretty famous. Child looks in the mirror, they see an image and they misrecognize themselves as the image. They say, that's me. And when you say that is me, suddenly that object becomes how you represent yourself. You take yourself to be that object in the mind. There's this misrecognition that happens that then provides a stability of identity. So there's actually something you gain from the misrecognition. And what I talk about us gaining is we kind of have this object envy where objects are stable. They have duration and unity. The image has a unity to it that we seem to lack as bodies, as this chaotic set of drives that I was describing earlier. Um, the image is not internally complex in the way that we are. And so it, it holds out the prospect of this unity and stability that we kind of desperately want that don't really have. And I think that the child recognizes that. I mean, especially a child who literally cannot even control whether they shit their pants or not. Um, to imagine being a baby and you're just constantly overcome by these drives and by these experiences, these instinctual waves that you don't know where they come from, you don't know what they're doing, you can't control them, and they 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 produce things like you have spit up, you throw up, you poop, you are being um, there's water washing over you, you you're having all these experiences that you can't even you don't even have the tools to conceptualize them, and then there are these objects out there outside of you that seem to not have all these same problems. And so I think that this object envy develops at the same time that this object permanence, where objects are stable and durable, um, I think these develop around the same time. And what we begin to do is we start to identify with this self. We start to identify with this image that we have of who and what we are. And I think that in the ego, we begin to see the key of how self-destructive behaviors evolve because the ego 
being an object, again, it has this benefit of durability, stability, um, and coherence. And yet, the problem with it is that it's not real. It's not it's not what we actually are. It's in a way it's less than what we are because it is, although it is stable, it's stable because it's dead. It's um, coherent because it's not real. There's, and, and, and what happens is that in the attempt to become like the object that we take ourselves to be, to become like ourself, the way we conceptualize ourselves to be, there's a sense in which you have to file our file ourselves down. Um, the, the the chaos that I am, the vital spirit, the body the, that I am, has to become less. It has to become dead. It has to be neutralized in order to become like the object that I believe that I am. And so it's true that we're engaged, we're constantly engaging in this activity of filing ourselves down. We're constantly engaging in the activity of becoming less so that we can become what we think that we are. And I think this is where self-destructive behavior starts to exist because we're trying to become something that's less real. So we have to kill ourselves in the process but I think that there's another side to this coin, though, is that instinctively we also sense that that's bad for us. And so there's this oscillation that takes place where on the one hand, we're trying to kill ourselves to become like our self, our ego, which is dead, which is a dead object. But then when we get too close to that, we sense that we're getting too close to the fire, that we're going to be consumed and destroyed in that process. And so we then need to engage in these behaviors of... Um, well, I think we need to engage in self-destructive behaviors that actually revitalize our own spirit, that somehow um, awaken and arouse that will to power in us that returns that vitalism that allows us to kind of back away from the edge of death. Um, there's, you could be an alcoholic for, for different reasons, for instance. You could be an alcoholic because you hate who you are and you you kind of secretly wish that you were dead or you can be an alcoholic because it numbs your mind just enough for you to keep going and and that in two in those two ways there's there's the self-destruction of becoming like yourself but then there's also the self-preservation of doing just enough to get by And so these two forces of oscillating of like you fly too close to the sun and then you pull away and you fly too close to the sun and you pull away. Self-destructive behaviors are happening at both in both of those movements often. And so like, and again, like the idea of an eating disorder on the one hand, one could be, one could have an eating disorder because they want to become like what they think they ought to be. And yet one might also have an eating disorder out of a refusal of what the other wants them to be. You could have both of those. Both of those could be a valid subjective structure for somebody who has an eating disorder. And so I think that this oscillation is 
the key to understanding self-destructive behavior, this oscillation with respect to the self, with respect to um, what we think that we should become, even though the self is also what we think that we are. It's, it's strange. And I think that the fact that we know we aren't ourself is what proves that the self is this illusion. Because if the self is who you are, you don't need to become it. And yet we constantly experience ourselves as needing to become like how we imagine we are. So that was a lot. I'm, I'm putting out essays right now. I've, I've talked through object permanence and object envy. I've kind of brought up this concept of the human being being a problem and, and why self-destructive behavior constitutes an important philosophical problem. I'm currently putting out a few essays on uh, looking at how Girard's thought can lead us to Lacan's thought. And then I'm looking at the different, I'm looking at what I call pull theories of desire and push theories of desire, where in pull theories of desire, the object arouses desire and pulls us towards it by its, its qualities. And pull theories of desire are theories based on a lack in the person or in the subject pushes them towards contingent objects in their environment. And so in push theories, the shape of our internal lack is what is primary. Whereas in pull theories, the excellences and qualities of objects are primary. Um, and I'm trying to argue that I think Girard and Lacan are both push theorists. And I think that push theory has more to commend itself than the pull theory does. And I think that what I think is really interesting is I think that fundamentally Christianity is actually a push theory rather than a pull theory. I think that where Christianity starts to, starts to appear like a pull theory is when we bring too much Plato, too much Aristotle, um, more classical philosophies um, that are very heavily realist. Whereas I tend to be more in the camp of um, more of a Kantian approach to things. I think that consciousness and being are kind of co-constitutive of each other. So I, I'm naturally a little more focused on how the internal scope of our lack drives us forward. Um, and in coming, in coming weeks, I'm going to be posting about um, where I think that, where I think that Girard misses the point of the Oedipal complex and how I think that Lacan can help us see better what Freud is trying to do. And then I do get into talking about that oscillation that I was talking about earlier of how um, we fly too close to the sun through subjective structures, uh, through self-destructive behaviors. But then also there's the backward movement of we realize that we are going to be totally consumed by this dead object that we're trying to become. And then we have to kind of pull back. And the only way to do that is through these, through more self-destructive behaviors, they're just oriented towards a different end. So I've got more things to post. I've got um, 
Sartre's critique of psychoanalysis. I've got Foucault's critique of psychoanalysis, which I think both are very revealing. I've got a critique of Anna Freud's view of the ego because I'm very much, as you can probably tell from what I'm talking about, I see the ego as this dead object, not as this actor or this agent that we kind of have to negotiate and build a relationship with in consciousness that, you know, that all of the, that the id and the ego and the superego are, are these actors or these parties in consciousness. And we're trying to kind of broker a peace deal with them. Um, that's kind of the Anna Freud ego psychology direction that a lot of American psychology has gone. And I think Lacan is very much like, no, the ego is an image that we are fixated on. It is dead. It is not us. It is an object in consciousness that we misrecognize as ourselves. And I think that seems to me to be a much more persuasive account of the ego um, rather than attributing agency to the ego. So just a little over 20 minutes. So I think I'm going to call it here, but I wanted to briefly summarize. I think self-destructive behavior raises a host of interesting philosophical problems because it's, it's very unique to human beings. On top of that, Mm. Uh, it's incredibly relevant to how we understand human behavior. Um, what makes us tick? What is life? What is it oriented towards? What makes us different? Because I think that there's a very strong sense, and I point this out, that Buddhism, the whole point of Buddhism is that human beings are different from the rest of nature and that they have this problem where they're addicted to the self, where they're addicted to objects, they're addicted to consciousness that is constantly feeding them this illusion of separateness. So clearly we're different in some way that produces quirks in our behavior. And I guess I'm more of the mindset of, I want to understand that. And rather than seeing that necessarily as the problem, I want to conceptualize it as a problem to be pressed into and to be moved through, uh, to be danced with, rather than to be cured in, in sort of a clinical sense. Whereas I, th- I see Buddhism very much as this, as this work of diagnosis uh, in clinical resolution through prescription. Thank you for listening. This has been the first episode of Samsara Audio. If you want to learn more, feel free to follow me on Anchor FM. Uh, I'm also going to be posting this to YouTube. Please feel free to subscribe to my channel. I would love that. Uh, But most of all, if you would like to follow for my writing, you can go to samsara.clinic. That's H-T-T-P-S colon slash slash samsara.clinic. And you can sign up for my free newsletter there. I post every Friday morning. I share a philosophy essay um, focused on generally religion, philosophy, psychoanalysis. I also have a contact page. Feel free to reach out to me. I would love to hear any of your thoughts. And you can always tweet at me on Twitter at NotStanLee. That's N-O-T-S-T-A-N-L-E-E. Thanks and have a great day.